there was a professional football team. Not that that's on your minds, right? Had gone 11 years without a winning season. The previous year's campaign was one win, 10 losses, and a tie. Knowing they needed to change directions, this team hired a new coach. Dynamic. Gruff. He proceeded to make the changes necessary to turn a loser into a winner. The next year they went 7-5. and And the coach was voted by his peers as coach of the year in the National Football League. The year after that... They played in the National Football League championship game, losing only by squandering a late fourth quarter lead, barely missing their goal of being the best football team in existence. So now we roll into training camp the following year. What might you expect? What kind of new innovative play or technique or, or what, how are we going to build to the top of the foundation that, that we've made and, and advance ourselves to what our goal is and be the champions. Into training camp walks Vince Lombardi. He holds up a pigskin and says, gentlemen, this is a football. Lombardi was not going to innovate. Lombardi was not going to build on top of anything. He was going right back down to the same fundamentals of the game that the neighborhood dad would coach the seven and eight-year-old Pop Warner team as soon as he got Timmy to turn his shoulder pads around so that they were facing the right direction. The very same fundamentals the seven and eight-year-olds needed to learn the hopeful contenders for the National Football League Championship needed to be reminded. And he did. After explaining to them what a football was, he opened the play, the same playbook they've had for three years that's been advancing them along the way, and he started on page one. And he explained the center will snap the ball to the quarterback. The receiver will run, the receiver one will run down the field, and receiver two, and he went through every player. It's reported that one of the receivers held up his hand at this point and went, Coach, could you slow down? You're going a little fast for us. Why would I tell you this probably somewhat familiar football story? Well, just as Vince Lombardi took his national championship football team and grounded them in the fundamentals, Paul, the apostle, is taking his all-star disciple-maker, Timothy, the guy that he sends into Ephesus to correct false and bad teaching. And he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy, who is all-star disciple-maker at the top. I mean, he is, he is disciple-making elders in the church. And he is going to ground Timothy in the fundamentals the same way that a new believer who wants to start reading their scripture and understanding how to walk with Christ 
would need the same fundamentals like the seven and eight-year-olds on the Pop Warner team. The fundamentals do not change, and if you execute them well, it leads you to, they lead you to success. And so what I want to do tonight is look at the fundamentals that Paul passes on to Timothy and the principles there that we can then apply to our discipleship and our disciple-making no matter what level of disciple-making we're engaged in. The fundamentals are universal, and if we follow them faithfully, they will lead us to success. Before I dive into those, a list of those fundamentals, I want to give a little more background. We've already talked about Timothy. He's in Ephesus. He's correcting bad teaching. But this letter is really, a, and Paul uses the phrase, these things. Right? In the first verse of, of our passage, we get prescribe and teach these things. If you back up to chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, in pointing out these things to the brethren. He's often using this phrase, these things. Well, what are these things that will help us to, to have a, a, a big overview before we narrow down into these fundamentals? And I think we can see what these things are if we look at the bookends at the beginning and the end of the letter. So we'll do this really quickly. Look at the beginning of the letter, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 1, as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So the first of these things is to reject wrong teaching. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to speculation rather than furthering the administration of God. So the second of these things is to ignore worthless teaching. So we reject wrong teaching, ignore worthless teaching, and finally he, he writes that you may instruct not to teach men, but rather further the administration of God, which is by faith. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the third and final of these things is to hold fast to trustworthy teaching. Look at the end of the letter, chapter 6 and verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Hold fast to trustworthy teaching. Avoiding worldly and empty chatter, ignore worthless teaching, and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Reject wrong teaching. In doing these things, Timothy will have a successful and faithful ministry. In doing these things, we at Summit Woods will be engaged in successful and faithful ministry. If that's the end zone where we're trying to get, what then are the fundamentals of the plays to move us from where we are to where we score? To where Christ awaits us with well done, good and faithful servant. These are six fundamentals for faithful discipleship that we're going to see from our paragraph, from our passage this evening. Six fundamentals for faithful discipleship. Fundamental number one, 
Obedience precedes understanding. Obedience precedes understanding. I draw this from two places in the passage. First is the order of the commands that Paul gives. In verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. The word prescribe is often, is sometimes will be command, insist upon. It is a, a verb that ensures the doing of something. Ensure that they do these things and teach them. He, he keeps this same word order in verse 13. When he tells Timothy to, to give attention to exhortation and teaching. Exhortation is the encouragement to action. Teaching is the explanation. So what I draw from that then is obedience precedes understanding. Where we often get this wrong is especially in the area of evangelism. Or maybe even in personal disciple making. You might think, well, I need to know more before I can do that well. That is contrary to this principle. The principle here is do it and then you'll understand it. Do you want to understand prayer? Pray. Do you want to understand your scripture? Read it. They, that may not give you everything. There is still teaching that follows the obedience. The ultimate picture of this in the scripture is Abraham. Here's Abraham in Ur. God says, Abraham, start walking. Abraham says, okay, where am I going? God then tells him where he's going, but he obeys first. Then he gets understanding on, as to where his path leads. If you're not sure, and it's a matter of obedience, do it. And let that lead to your better understanding of what God has required of us. So obedience precedes understanding. Fundamental number two, Christ-likeness is the only foundation for spiritual leadership. Christ-likeness is the sole foundation, the only foundation for leadership. Verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Let no one look down upon, that's the, no one despise you because of your youthfulness. Now that doesn't mean they would hate on Timothy or, or mock him, but just as in, it's the same word as Christ who for the joy set before him despised the shame. He thought so little of the shame that it didn't affect him at all. He pursued the joy that was set before him. This is what Paul is warning Timothy. Don't let people just look past your ministry and consider it as light or nothing because of your youth. Now, youth here is 
a somewhat relative term. The, some say it could be as late as 30 years old before you were considered to have any credibility at all. And, and some scholars will say Timothy was as old as 30. Now to us, that's not quite youth. But in this day, for credibility, it, it was. There may be a good reason Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was 30 years old. But what Paul is saying here is, don't let them use your age as a criterion for spiritual leadership. Your age is not a valid measure of your ability to spiritually lead. That is a false criterion. We have some false criteria we often look to in our leaders. We'll use age. We might use seniority. I've been in this church for 35 years, so I should be a leader. Maybe, and maybe not. But the length of your seniority is not the anchor on which we, we would grant spiritual leadership. You may be young and Christ-like. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've just recently come to the age where before we moved here, for the first time in my life, I sat under a pastor who was younger than I was. And that's okay. Because he was a model for believers. And I happily sat under his preaching. You might think business success, wealth, influence, a huge social media presence, a blog, a popular blog. Those would be reasons to have somebody come in or, or to pay attention to somebody and, and take their spiritual input. Those are also false criterion. Christ-likeness is the only foundation for leadership. Well then, how do I recognize Christ-likeness? What are the true foundations? What does that model look like? Well, like Mona Lisa's smile is distinctive for her modeling sitting in a photo or in a painting, excuse me, we have external and internal foundations, uh, distinctives that mark someone as Christ-like. Speech. Conduct. These are the externals. In what you say and what you do, how you comport yourself, are you showing yourself to be Christ-like? Is your speech saturated with Scripture and Christ and His kingdom? Is that what people, when they talk to you, do they expect you to come to certain things? They will. They'll expect that you're interested in and you will talk about certain things. Is Christ first among them? That's an example to the believers. The internals, love, faith, and purity. Do you have a concern for, a love for your fellow believers? Are you sacrificially concerned about their welfare to the equivalent of your own? 
faith. Do you walk a walk that sacrifices the things of the world to gain the things of the kingdom? Some of those should not be visible. Some of those, Christ says, to, to, to let your, not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Some of those will simply be evident because they are part of your life. Are you avoiding temptation and its promises in order to gain the kingdom and Christ and his greater promises? Are you exercising faith and purity the word it could also be translated holiness. Holiness has gotten a, a little bit of a bad turn when it's overemphasized as separate. Holiness is not just separation from, but separation and dedication to something. The best example I can think of in, in, in most households, there are the holy shears that are only used for material. I'm seeing some nods and grins, right? There is a set of shears in households where, where sewing is done that are only and ever used on material and, and not even thread, material. That's all they're used for. They are holy. They are dedicated to that purpose alone. You want to be a spiritual leader? Live a life that is dedicated wholly and solely to the kingdom of Christ. That is the mark of a spiritual leader. The more someone is unified and has integrity as being a member of the kingdom and you would recognize and, and see that in them, that is someone to emulate and Timothy is told here, in these, with these characteristics, to show yourself an example of those who believe. Could be an example to those who believe. Could be an example among those who believe. I think both fit. I don't, I don't think this is really necessary to say it's necessarily one or the other. Be an example out of the believers, of a believer, and to the believers. And let the only foundation that you rely on for your Christian leadership, or that you would look to in a different Christian leader, be Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the only foundation for Christian leadership. Principle number three or excuse me, fundamental number three, preaching and teaching the Bible in community establishes our worldview. Preaching and teaching the Bible in community establishes our worldview. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Church, this is our football. This basic activity, it is not innovative, it is not, it's often mocked or, or belittled, but sitting under 
the, the teaching or sitting in a, in a circle and saying, here's the scripture. What does that mean? How do we live it? That is how disciples are formed. That is as basic to Christian discipleship as quarterback to, to, to the, the center to the quarterback snap is to football. And Paul says, until I come, devote yourselves to this. Do you think Paul's going to do anything different when he arrives? Is Paul going to take them to the next level of the spiritual life? Paul going to show them their best life now? Or is Paul going to open up the Bible and exhort and teach? I think quite the latter because studying the scripture, hearing the scripture in community, Paul says, give yourself to the public reading. Gathering in community around the scripture is what establishes our worldview. That is our fundamental. Fundamental number four. God's past faithful actions empower your future faithful actions. God's past faithful actions empower your future faithful actions. Now that principle might be a little far from what you read in the text, so let me get you from the text to the principle. Because the text is this, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now for many of you, this, I need to throw in a caveat here. There are systematic theological interests in prophecy that are active today. Is prophecy still ongoing or has it ceased? Let's let Paul say what he's saying here to Timothy because he has nothing to say about whether the sign gifts continue here or not. What he is saying is that Timothy, at his ordination, experienced a supernatural act. There was an occurrence of prophecy. Don't know what the message was, but Paul is simply calling upon that act of God, that deliberate and and special event that happened at his ordination, which is a fairly common event. The laying on of hands happens several times throughout Scripture. The occurrence of prophecy during that laying on of hands is only recorded here. But Timothy, as a young man who might be intimidated with the task that's in front of him, can look back on this event where God did something supernatural and use it as a launching pad for his future faithful ministry. Paul is using this experience as an anchor in Timothy's life so that he can continue a faithful ministry in the face of opposition. That's what Paul is saying here about prophecy. It does not mean that at every ordination there should be an expression of prophecy or it's not valid. It does not, has nothing to do with whether prophecy continues today or not. It is Paul giving Timothy an anchor. God did a faithful thing in your past. Let it spur you to faith, 
faithful, your faithful actions in the future. So let me ask, has God done a faithful thing in your past? Is there something you can point to to say God has moved in my life in this way? He has changed my thinking. He has granted me faith. For some of us, God has used a congregation of his people to recognize preaching and teaching gifts and set apart and ordained whatever level discipleship you're at. This principle holds true. You can look back on those things and let them encourage you to future faithfulness. And if you don't have any for yourself, read one. Read five. That's why one reason we have all of the old covenant, it doesn't rule us anymore. It doesn't govern the church, but it does tell us how faithful God is to keep his promise. If you need a track record of God's faithfulness and it doesn't come from your own experience, look to the word. It is chock full of God's faithful promise keeping. So that as you need to trust God for a promise that is yet to be fulfilled, you can look back as an anchor at what he has done in the past and say, that is a faithful God. He will keep his promise to me that I'm waiting for in the future. God's past faithful actions empower your future faithful actions. Principle number five, be identified with Christ through constant faithful practice. Be identified with Christ through constant faithful practice. Verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Take pains with these things. Other translations use practice these things. Uh, The word has the, the, the connotation of drilling something so often and so thoroughly that they become automatic. Think of the junior high girl who wants to be the point guard on her basketball team. And so she starts to dribble. And then she dribbles with her left hand. And when she walks to school, she dribbles. And when she's in the hallway, she dribbles and she runs drills. And constantly, constantly bouncing that ball up and down, up and down until it is a part of her. That is the kind of, when when Paul says take pains with these things, that's what he's talking about. The musician who runs scales up and down the instrument over and over and over until they are simply automatic. Don't even have to think about them anymore. They are just a part of who you are, what you do. The leader who engages in relationships and schedules and and carves out time in order to encourage other believers until it is a part of their life. That is just, they are disciple makers. It is what they are. It's what they do. And if you were to say, oh, I know John, he is a blank. What would be filled in about you? To answer that question, Look back at verse 15. 
for the NASB, it says be absorbed in them. And you see absorbed is in italics. All that's there is the, the verb to be. Take pains with these things. Be them. You hear a lot of talk today about my, well, I, I identify as this. Or I identify as that. We should identify. We should be faithful disciple makers about these things. They, these things should be what mark and define our lives in our time, in our treasure, in our passions. This, I, this verse has been chewing on me for the last two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, since I've been really looking at it and digging into it. Because I ask, if, if you were to, to think of me, what is Mike? Is this what you would answer? And I realize I have, some, I have some growth to do in this area. So I'm not alone here. I hope I'm not alone. I have work to do. I don't think I'm alone. With the first thing that you think about yourself or that somebody else would think about you? Is it disciple maker? Follower of Christ? That's the command. That's the principle here. Through constant faithful practice, be Christ-like. Become Christ-like. Be identified with Christ. And finally, Persevere in these fundamentals until your race is complete. Fundamental number six. Persevere in these fundamentals until your race is complete. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and those who hear you. Now again, we've come to a word that you may want to jump to systematic theological concerns. Well, when he says salvation, is that in question? Is it in doubt? Or can we, can we lose it? Can we give it up? Paul is not necessarily talking about atonement and reconciliation here. He's not talking about necessarily about that atoning identification with Christ that comes through faith. But he is. But more what Paul is doing is comparing someone who would persevere in these things with those who did not persevere in these things in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, By them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So you can either, Paul is painting two paths here. You can join the false teachers and shipwreck your faith, 
You can look to the innovation. You can look to the, the, the novel. Or you can stick with the fundamentals. You can persevere in these things. The rejecting of false teaching. The ignoring of worthless teaching. The sustaining and holding on to truth. And in so doing, you and the community that you lead. And we are all leaders at some level in this community. will make it to the end zone. You will walk faithfully all the way until we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever level you're walking, however fast or slow you're traveling, these are the fundamentals by which we complete the race. Obedience precedes understanding. Christ-likeness is the only foundation for leadership. Preaching and teaching the Bible in community is what establishes our worldview. Let God's past faithful actions empower your future faithful actions. Be identified with Christ through constant faithful practices and persevere in these fundamentals until your race is complete. These are the basics. And in a time of conflict, when, you, when there is a contest going on, when there's friction, both from our own sinful selves and from a world that would oppose us, you ask any soldier the fundamentals, if you can accomplish them and you stick to them, will see you through to victory. Oh, by the way, the Packers won the national championship that next year, 35 to nothing. Let's pray.